Hey you. Whoa, didn't expect to see you here. Thanks so much for being curious enough to check us out. You're about to gift your ears the soothing, sensational and seductive sounds of the Story Network podcast. But before I jump into the emotive and inspirational introduction, I actually just want to take a moment and thank you for tuning in and then welcome you to the Story Network community. So thank you and welcome. Now, let's roll that intro. Hit it. This is the emotive and inspirational introduction to the Story Network podcast. My name is Zed Hopkins and it is my job to inspire connection, collaboration and creation through open and honest conversation. So let's put our lives aside for a moment, connect heart to heart, mind to mind, share with each other, learn from each other and inspire each other to be more, to feel more and experience more. 7.54 billion stories on one earth. We are the Story Network, and this is the Story Network Podcast. Woo! The Story Network, let's do it! Great intro, team. (laughs) Nice one. Just kidding, I don't have a team. I'm actually recording this out of a caravan in the back of my mum's house. (laughs) Anyway, today's podcast is taking me back over the Pacific Ocean to beautiful, soul-filled San Francisco, where my dear friend Gigi Buddy and I talk all things art, cultural heritage, and solo travel. I love this human being with my whole heart. She's an amazing performer and an incredible storyteller. Please welcome to the metaphorical, virtually constructed stage, Gigi Buddy. I was wondering if you could talk a little bit about your story, where you've come from, where you've grown up and where you are now, and maybe a little bit about how we met. Because we we sort of went to college together. That's how we first officially met, both being theatre majors and have become really, really good friends through that. But I'd love to even just for me to know a little bit more about your story pre-college and how, how you ended up where you are. I was born in San Francisco. And I've lived in this area my whole life, although I've moved around, I think, 23 times before college. Um, So I've moved around a lot, which is really interesting because when you were talking about in your thesis about home, like what is home to you? It really got me thinking like home has never been a place. It's always been people and a feeling because my like physical space changes so much. I heavily relied on you know, my family to be the people that grounded me where, with who I was and where I was going. So my life has been kind of crazy in that regard. And I'm never in one place for too long. Um, my parents split up in 2008, which is kind of like the worst year to split up because the recession happened (laughs) and they were like, yo, what up? We're going to divorce. Um, (laughs) which is fine. I mean, everything's fine now. Um, but there was a lot of a lot of change that happened in my life from from then to you know where I am now. Um, my family became me and my mom, um, and our and our cats. Obviously, hello, can't live without animals. Um, and it was me and my mom for from from like two thousand officially from like two thousand and thirteen until you know I graduated in twenty eighteen. Um, which is crazy because when I think back on like when I was a kid, you know, I had this like, you know, perfect ideal, you know, uh, two parents and then a son and a daughter and like a white picket fence kind of, kind of home. And I don't have that anymore. Um, which I'm fine with because, well, because I've just like learned to accept it, I guess. Um, because my family mean, my mom means more to me than, than that necessarily does because I know that that wasn't healthy for for everybody to be, to be in that, you know, quote unquote, perfect family situation. Um, let's see. I, I actually had a wonderful high school experience. I know that some people didn't because high school is a, a crazy time where a lot happens. A lot of change happens within yourself and other people around you. And it's like a really weird place to try and put a whole bunch of, you know, pubescent teenagers together and make them, you know, communicate with one another um and up until my sophomore year volleyball 
like religiously. Like I was, I was very competitive with the sport. I played for you know, years and years and years. And I mean, when I was a sophomore in high school, I was like, oh, I'm, I'm going to graduate and I'm going to go play volleyball somewhere and it's going to be great. Um, and then I realized that the girls that I played with were not people that I wanted to surround myself with. Um, and even though I love the sport, I had to put myself first. So I left volleyball and I kind of devoted all my time to theater, which was probably the best choice I could have made for myself because I mean, I'm here now um, and I love what I do. And I think that while, although like my dreams when I was like a kid of being, you know, like an actress and a singer kind of were always there in the background, I feel like when I stopped volleyball and actually committed most of my time to theater, that's when I realized that like my dreams are something that could be achievable and also something that is going to make me genuinely happy. Um, and so then I applied to college and I actually didn't know what Pomona was when I, when I was looking at colleges, some, some, uh, my dad's friend who's an alumni of Pomona, he told me to apply and I was like, okay. <laughs> um, and then, I mean, I ended up there, which it's crazy when you hear people talk about the, you know, college admission, admission process. They say, you know, you don't pick the school, the school picks you. You're going to end up where you need to end up. But you don't listen to that because that's a bunch of crap. And you're like, no, like I, I want to go to X school and that's where I'm going to end up. And I mean, sometimes you do, right? But sometimes something bigger than you says, no, that's actually not what you need. Um and thank God, <laughs> something said, <laughs> hey, this is what you need. Here's Pomona. Um, because it's impacted my life in, in such a positive way. And it led me to meeting you, which um, I saw you perform in uh, Water by the Spoonful. That's what it was, right? Yes. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and and, and I, I work for Janelle. I work as a lighting technician. And so we were doing strike. And you started talking to people and I was like, hold on, back up. He is not American since when that accent was so good. I was so shook and I was like, oh my God, I need to be friends with him. And then he disappeared for a semester and went abroad, um, which is fine. I don't, it's fine. I, you don't hold that against me. No, of course not. <laughs> <laughs> um, but then we took um, the mask technique class with Jesse together and we ended up randomly getting paired up in that in that scene. What was it? Was it was it Richard the Third? Is that what we yeah? Did? Yeah, it was Richard the Third. That's right. <laughs> and that was the most chaotic thing. And then I realized that this is someone I want to be friends with for sure. Now that he's here, like R.I.P. He's a senior, but still, I'm gonna make this friendship work. Um, so yeah, wild. I, I, I feel I feel like maybe to provide some context on the, on the Richard the Third scenario, just to contextualize our first real like introduction. Um, where we're in this mask class, um, which is which, which was all about theater and how masks have been used for theater. And I'm pretty sure the opening assignment was we got given this scene from Richard the Third. And we just had to, we were using clowning techniques to just push the boundaries of what could occur in that scene. And and so I think like the normal, it kind of started off where we'd sort of like say it and then maybe we'd change our accent a little bit and we'd like do a little bit of movement. And then eventually you and I are running around <laughs> the room on 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 like, with like brooms, pretending we're playing Quidditch, and then every every line we're throwing like a ball at each other, and we're like dodging, and we're and then I think at one point we were like in this like bar trying to seduce <laughs> each other in a cabaret performance, like and, and doing yoga, and 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 I think like it was so funny because because it was I think it was one of those moments where it was like we were both like oh we're on the same page right now we are like we're just jumping ideas off each other and like exploring things um just as a bit of context to that first interaction (laughs) no one else was doing anything remotely close to that so here we are running around the room and everyone's just kind of sitting in their chairs saying their lines it was yeah 
it was it was it was a big moment it was a big moment because I remember thinking then too I was like oh this is this is why we're both just kind of like going off impulse and exploring and 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 playing which was and having like a lot of fun um but it's it's interesting too oh, yeah. listening listening to your your background before college because that's actually something I didn't know too much about um in and in, in a funny way I feel like there is a lot of parallels there like even even for example so my parents got divorced when I when I was a freshman in college so 2016 so a little bit later but like it was a similar thing of like I'd always had a very you know the I guess like the equivalent of the American dream the Australian dream of, of you know you know this this two two parent household three kids this house that we we had a mortgage on that we owned and you know it, there was that like stability um and then that kind of went away but I'd also before that had to make a decision between sport and theater um because I was playing Australian football and it got to the point where games would be on Sundays but if I was rehearsing I'd have rehearsals then and trainings would be in the afternoons but I have rehearsals for shows so I, I think that's also an interesting thing and I, I'd almost like to narrow in it for you that moment I feel like it's a big moment to be in like a high school environment and have to to have the self-awareness to be like, oh, this group of people and maybe that this like path that I had set myself on to play volleyball, maybe that isn't right for me and I'm going to look at something else. I was wondering if you could go a little bit deeper into like what, what happened, like what shifted for you to see, to find that clarity? Um, yeah, wow. I haven't thought about this in a while, which is crazy. Um, I mean, yeah, it was, it was a really big deal because I'm up until that point it it, it had you know been my whole life like that's it was volleyball five days a week and then that's how life went for me um I think when I truly kind of realized that this maybe wasn't something that that I could keep doing if if it continued on the path it, it seemed to be going down was when I got into high school a lot of the the girls that I had played with during club or when I was in middle school they you know started to find you know new people in high school and kind of I don't know exactly how to put it, like quote-unquote sh- showed their true colors like in like a weird sense like they they had, they were just not nice people um and I think that I finally realized that when I went into high school and like I started I had to play with them you know you know six seven days a week when you were you're always with these people and I mean it's tough because when I realized that I was you know starting starting out in high school so my freshman year um but I loved volleyball so much and that's what I wanted to do so I kind of ignored it and my mom would tell me at games, she's like, you know, you and, you know, X other girls don't seem like you're, like, you're happy. Like, what is that? Um, and I think that my mom also gave me a lot of the wisdom that I needed to be able to step back and say what is right for me. Um, because I think it was going into my sophomore year, sophomore junior year, I said, mom, I don't want to try out for the volleyball team. Like, I, I don't, I don't want to. And she's like, well, you can't just throw it away. I'm like, but that's not what I'm not throwing it away. You know, I'm, I'm making the choice to step away, which is very different. I was like, I don't, I don't want to leave it, but, but it, it's no longer something that is, that is making me happy. That is making me feel good. Um, and so she said, you know what? Okay. I'm not going to make you do anything over the summer. You're not going to have to go to any open gyms, no working out, no, like nothing, but you should try out because you love the sport. So I did. I tried out. I sucked kind of because I just didn't do anything the whole summer. Um, but I made the team and I'm sitting in the room with the, with the coach who's sitting there and she's going, Hey, congratulations. You made the team. And I just started crying and she's like, I know it's big. Like, congratulations. I'm like, no, no, no. I want to be on the team. And I walked out. I told her, through my tears like no I don't want to play for you I don't want to play volleyball and I just left and my mom was so proud of me but of course I was like oh my god I can't believe I just did that (laughs) I just cried my way out of being on this team um 
but <laughs> so day though when I think about it I mean I wasn't a kid who had guts who could stand up for myself or stand up for for what I believed in and I don't know that it's a it's a fond memory even though it's kind of funny <laughs> yeah I feel like I feel like that's such a there's those moments in everyone's life I think where sometimes your gut tells you that this path or this thing that you're doing isn't right and maybe there's those external circumstances like the conversation with your mom which also is like such a great conversation to have and be open about and and for you to then be like this actually doesn't make me happy which is also something that I've been reckoning with recently of of looking at my life now that I've graduated college and I'm kind of going all right where do I want to go from here a lot of the plans that I had in place haven't come to fruition and where I thought my life was going hasn't come together. And I was like, well, I need to make money. I need to get a job that no one's hiring. Um, Money needs to be my focus. So I've got that stability moving forward. But then when I strip it back, I'm like, if I could start now, when I go back into sort of some of the freelance work I've been doing social media stuff and stuff like that, like that doesn't make me happy. But what makes me happy is actually having conversations like this, talking to people, connecting with people from around the world who have all these different nuanced stories and experiences and and having those conversations that maybe don't necessarily always get had. And I think that it, it took a bit for me to be like, all right, what if you just go all in right now and focus on the things that actually make you happy? Also spending time with family who for the past four years, I've, I've missed so much of say my siblings lives because I've gone to college and been traveling, which I'm incredibly grateful for, but they're recognizing that there are those repercussions that my brothers graduate high school next year. And I have missed some of the most pivotal points of his high school career up until that point. And so and, and, and I love spending time with them and I love spending time with my parents and, and, and my other like family and friends here. So prioritizing that and, and, and navigating your life towards the things that actually make you happy, not towards those dreams that, or those, those, I guess, like manufactured dreams that maybe we're told is the right thing to do the resume builders and, and, and applying to this job that you can put on a resume and look really good and, and post on LinkedIn about, but the things that actually make you happy and, and, and that you're, that you feel fulfilled doing. I mean, that's every artist, right? I mean, I feel like we're not in it for the money. If we were, we wouldn't do it, right? <laughs> like y- you want to, you want to create and share your art because it, it brings so much joy and so much fulfillment into your life. So I get it. <laughs> I understand. Yeah. Well, I, on that note then, like I'd be interested to know what is your relationship with art and, and how do you, how do you look at art, especially in, in the time we're in now, um, you know, us all being split up as, as someone who works in the theater, it's like all the theaters are closed. Like <laughs> what, what is your relationship to your art and to creativity and how do you feel it has enhanced or impacted your life up until this point? Oh, interesting. Um, I don't know. My relationship to art has always been one that I felt has, has always come naturally and always been present, even if maybe I wasn't focusing my energy on it, um, which is really comforting to know that something so beautiful and powerful is just kind of there with you. Um, which I appreciate because uh, art definitely gets you through times like this where where you can kind of fall into to the negatives of of everything that's happening and you can kind of get lost lost in this in this mess that's happening around us um I feel like my relationship with art has never really changed in that sense like it's always been there for me um especially through I think like art in terms of like music and singing um and then in recent years definitely theater and acting has has been something that's you know uh 
kind of made its way up the ranks. Um, I think that now, now in relationship with art has kind of shifted is I think I've relied on it much more now that I'm in, in this state. <clears throat> I find myself leaning into it when, when I, you know, am, and bored when I, when I, you know, when it's raining outside, when, when it's sunny, when I'm happy, I find myself, you know, like reaching for my ukulele. I find myself wanting to listen to new music. I find myself, you know, wanting to talk to my friends uh, about, you know, hey, what was the best play you've seen? And like, should I read it? Um, which is something that I don't think I had really done before to this extent where I've like thrown myself into it so wholeheartedly because there's no other distractions like there's there's nothing to take you away from the art so if, you know throw yourself into it I mean it's perfect because it's also that itself is a distraction from from everything that's going on and and it's nice to have something be there for you and also you there for it because then you you get to share or you have the choice to share whatever you make whatever you create with other people which I feel, I mean, that's also what we need right now. You know, how, how are artists supposed to get, how is anyone supposed to get through this time without, you know, any sort of creativity? I think it's nice to be able to have something and put it out in the world or have the option to have something and put it out in the world. Yeah, I think that's such a good way to look at it. And, and art is a, is a device for expression and of processing everything that's going on right now. I think it's very easy. I, I know, and I can only speak from, from my own personal experience, but I have a, a, a habit of when I experience a lot of emotion is I just push it down and suppress it and then maybe focus on, on work or things or like productivity or, or routine. Whereas I think what art and creativity and in even just conversations, which I think are a form of art, what, what that allows you to do is actually process everything that's going on. It gives you a way to let those emotions out rather than just, you know, because sometimes it's hard to even acknowledge what those emotions are and we don't have those words for what we're feeling. But we can, in your case, you know, pick up a ukulele and, and play and like sing a song maybe. And that, that gives us a way to express ourselves and to get those things out and, and physically, tangibly manifest them into something. Um, what, what I'd be interested though is do you have a – artistic practice or process or routine you use in terms of harnessing that creativity or is it something maybe that just comes more of an impulse um I think it comes more as an impulse if I'm being honest like there'll be times where I'm just laying in bed doing nothing just letting my thoughts kind of be there and, and all of a sudden I'm like oh that is a great chord progression. Let's, let's roll with it. And then all of a sudden, you know, the gears start turning and you, you got something beautiful coming out of it. Um, I don't think I have, you know, like a set routine or, or, or anything that kind of leads me to that. I feel like it, it just sparks and that's what makes it beautiful for me at least. Yeah. I guess there's a spontaneity there with creation and like creativity especially I know that sometimes for me I'm I, I try and lock everything into a routine and and I'm <laughs> you, you've got this as I said this this method of processing that is by locking things in and, and being like okay I'm gonna write for an hour and a half and I'm gonna work on this project but half the time when <laughs> like half the time when you do that nothing comes out or you just stare at a blank screen or you get distracted by something that's happening on social media or your phone but it's those times when maybe you go for a walk or you know have a shower or just lay on your bed and just let yourself think and give yourself time and then you're like oh that's the next bit of the story. That's a character thing. That's, I should do this. I should write this down, um, which I think is, is such a, especially like in these times, there's a much healthier way to look at creativity and productivity is having objectives or having 
maybe goals that you're working towards, but also allocating time for you to just be and exist and let creativity flow through you. And if nothing happens, not judging or looking down on yourself because of that. Moving on from that, I know that we we had sort of spoken a little bit before this and you had mentioned the significance of your culture and culture for you. I'd be interested to know maybe if you could give a, a little bit of a background of, of what your cultural heritage is and maybe how that has influenced your creativity, but also your approach to identity. Um, yeah, totally. Um, yeah, so I'm I'm American Indian. I am uh, from two tribes. I'm from Muscularo Apache, and I'm Tongva Indian. Which hey, Pomona's on Tongva land. If you didn't know that, so it's pretty neat. But I'm kind of back on back on my my home turf. <laughs> um, yeah, um, my culture has been a huge part of of who I am and and my life. Um, like I said, my mom kind of raised me for the majority of, of my life and she's, she's where I get my, um, American Indian blood from. Um, it's my here, let me organize my thoughts. <laughs> my, my culture has, has always been something that I'm, I've been very, very proud of. And I think a lot of that stems from the fact that it's, it's a dying culture. It's a dying people. Um, and it's, it's really important to me that whatever traditions I am shown, whatever parts of my culture I am given, whether it's through my mom or other people, I want to hold on to those and I want to practice them and I want to make them a part of who I am and, and talk to other people about them because I feel like so, so often now the way that, you know, indigenous people get their stories out is by telling people who aren't indigenous, right? You're, you're sharing your stories with people who need to hear it because it's another way to keep your culture alive, your people alive, whether or not, you know, generations later that, that bloodline dies out, like, okay, you don't have any, any native people who actually have that blood within them, but you could still have those stories and that culture and that, and that, you know, um, what's the word I'm looking for? You, you have that, you just, you just, you have that, those people alive, whether or not their blood is, is still with us. Um, which is also really sad to think about. <laughs> um, but my, my mom has influenced a lot of, or my mom and how she raised me and how she, you know, told me stories from not, not even just my tribe. She would tell me, I mean, like, that's also another thing, little, little tangent, sorry. But like when you're part of, of a culture that, that is dying. Um, and if you don't know, for anyone not who doesn't know, um, American Indians are, you know, the native people of um, Northern America, um, North America, Northern America. Hey, um, <laughs> they, there's originally like, you know, there's, I think right now there's over 500 federally recognized tribes who have very different traditions and they're, you know, culturally very, very different. Um, but now because there's so few of us, it's constantly being the, the stories that this, their culture is constantly being interchanged. Um, and so when I was growing up, my mom would tell me a lot of stories that weren't even from my own tribes, from, from their own legends and myths and stories. Um, which is also really cool because one of the stories my mom told me when I, when I was a kid that really stuck with me ended up being a song that I wrote and really loved and then produced and I'm releasing really, really soon actually. So I feel like it's something that I hold so dear because I'm so proud to be American Indian in a world where there isn't many of us, <laughs> sadly. Um, and I'm also really proud to show people that side of me, to show people who, who we are, where we come from, why who we are is so, so important to us, you know? Like I, I have 
you know, 25% of me, so to speak, is, is American Indian. That's, that's, that's 25%. That's a quarter of me. Yet it is the part of me that I most strongly identify with because I want to keep it alive. And I have to, I have to do that for myself and, you know, for, for my children and my grandchildren. I think it becomes a, a real, very real thing where it's, it is on me, you know, it's on me to pass on whatever it is. So how much can I learn? Who, who can I be through this that I, that I love so much and I'm so proud of. Um, so yeah, it, it's, it's a huge part of my life and it's a huge part of my art too. Um, so I hope, I hope that answered your question. <laughs> Yeah, definitely. I mean, it's so mesmerizing to hear you speak about it and, and hear the way your voice changes and, and, and the pride that comes through you even just talking about that. And I think I think that's that's an experience that I think also, I know for me, when I first came over to the US and, you know, the there was so much there was so much cultural change and so much new cultural awareness, but also then like they're opening up and, and becoming aware of these things and becoming aware of these like little bits of history um, that you continue to learn. And the way that I think this building awareness that history defines us and that, that history and storytelling are the ways in which we capture moments and memories and people and we make them last forever by you know by capturing culture and 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 these memories and these stories and 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 capturing them in a story in a narrative in in a song you know in a piece of theater in a piece of art like what we do is we we give them legs we we allow them to live on you know even 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 past the end of maybe their individual histories and i think that is such a beautiful thing I'm I'm wondering, are there any of those stories that really stand out for you? I know you mentioned one that your mum used to tell you that really connected, um, that, that you've written a song about. Um, are there any that that you would feel comfortable sharing? In oh this yeah, space? absolutely. I, I, I would love I would love if 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 you could share one. Sure, this is so exciting. <laughs> Cool. So the song, the song, the story that I wrote the song about comes from the Iroquois tribe and it's about the bear, which is Ursa Major, which is the quote unquote like big dipper up in the sky, um, the constellation. So the story goes that this grizzly bear was terrorizing this tribe and it, you know, injured people, killed people, took food, you know, ruined their their homes and then and then ran away um and so the tribe sent out their three best warriors to track and hunt and kill this bear and so they're they're following the tracks and they notice that this bear is climbing this mountain and so they say okay we have to climb this mountain as well to get to this bear and then all of a sudden when they get to the top of the mountain the tracks stop and they say where could this bear have gone and they notice that the bear has climbed all the way up into the sky and they said okay well, there's no turning back, but we have to climb up into the sky and we have to get this bear. So they climb and they climb and they finally find the bear up in the sky where they wound the bear. So the bear cannot go anywhere, but they realize that they are too stuck up in the sky with this bear. So what we see up in the sky is the bowl of the dipper is the bear. And then the three stars of the handle are the three warriors that followed the bear up into the sky. And in the fall, the reason why, or autumn, fall, whichever, the reason why our leaves turn red is because the dipper flips and the wound of the bear bleeds across the sky. And so our trees are painted red. I'm like, hi, I have chills. I love that story. (laughs) It's, first of all, I mean, like, hello, it's so cool to explain like phenomenons that you know like why why do the you know trees why do the leaves fall off why do they turn red like it's so cool to think of it like oh it's the bear bleeding it's no big deal like it's fine like that's so cool that is so wonderful to have to have such creative and delicate stories like that 
Yeah, I mean, it's such a beautiful story. Like, I, I'm, I'm the same. Like, even just hearing that story, there is, I, like, I was like, wow, this is, it's so beautiful in terms of imagery, in terms of these connecting these phenomenon in the world to a narrative and to a story that also connects people together and connects people to the earth and to the sky. Um, and, and, and that's something that also we don't, in, in, in our current world in 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 the world where there's just constant media trying to get our attention there's an unlimited amount of of entertainment being put churned out every day and created in front of us and we kind of have to sift through it all but when you actually come back and and you just listen to you tell a story like that that is powerful that is impactful and that is this idea of through you telling that you know it connects to how many generations of other people who have told that story and and now us like listening to that and hearing that story through you, we we're in some way connected to that history, and that history lives on. And 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 it's it's through a real tangible story of us speaking it, and which tracks you know all the way back throughout history. And that is oh, that just excites me. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I know it's. I mean, I feel like especially with uh, like native cultures, it, it's all about storytelling. It's all about narrative, right? Nothing is usually written down it's all oral so I mean this is just like carrying on that tradition yeah and and I think that there is something so beautiful too in in acknowledging now like being able to see that that there is an ambiguity to all of the phenomenon of the world into everything that occurs and that it is through these stories that we find meaning out of this ambiguity or that, you know, and, and that we attempt to, and that we attempt to, to give purpose and meaning to these things. And we weave stories that connect us to the world around us, but there still remains this, this level of ambiguity that I think exists, you know, across cultures and across timelines and across geographical barriers is that I think, you know, taking this even a step further for every single individual, there's ambiguity in our lives of, who are we? What is our relationship to the world? What is our relationship to these phenomenon that we can't even comprehend? You know, the stars and the sky, the animals that walk around us. You know, mm-hmm. I think the processing of these things and 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 connecting them to the story is an interesting process. But to delve a little bit deeper, I'd be interested to know what do you what do you feel your relationship now with ambiguity is as a, as a creative, as someone who, who holds this, this, this cultural heritage and these cultural histories, how do you you feel about ambiguity and what, what does ambiguity mean to you or what interests you about the idea of ambiguity? Yeah. Um, I, I think I personally try to embrace the ambiguity probably because I, I have had conversations with people that have, have I mean, I don't think I would even have, have thought of ambig- ambiguity and its connection to the human condition, like at all, unless I had had a conversation with my brother years ago about it, where humans fear the unknown. We fear what we don't know. And so we come up with things like religion, like, you know, the, these, these myths, these legends of these stories of this bear up in the sky, like, yeah, that's probably not true, <laughs> but it gives us something to hold on to, to feel comfortable in our surroundings when really you you can't explain it. I mean, depending who you are, you can, you know, you you know that science can explain some of these things in like a very, you know, meticulous way. And I don't think that that necessarily makes people feel as comfortable because it's something that's so hard to understand, right? But then you have something like, religion where there's a you know a big man in the sky who does it all and you're like oh great I can grasp onto that because that that makes sense sure um I think my relationship with ambiguity is one that I, I do try to embrace because I with art I feel like a lot of the times you're diving into something I mean you're starting when you start any piece of art whatever it is you're diving into the unknown like that's what you're doing I hate to like quote Elsa out here but you're really diving into the unknown you're 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 taking a step into something that has never been created before, never been done, never been talked about, never really been, you know, examined in the way that you're about to. And that's scary. That's really scary to to try and wrap your head around. Um, But it's also something that is 
so powerful, so interesting because it opens up, I mean, it opens up this very conversation, right? To be able to talk about this, this inherent fear that humans have of, of what they don't know, but also on the flip side, it draws you in to create art that comes from that same place of, well, I don't know. I don't know what this is, what this thing is. What is this story? What is the bear up in the sky? How does that, you know, relate to a song that then could relate to somebody else? It's, it's, it's a constant world of unknown and it's frightening and it's cool. It's cool to think about. It can be also scary. It's have of who are you in this world why are you here why does that tree grow there why do the seasons change like there's a lot that you cannot answer and I think that within art it starts out with the well this is what I can't answer and this is this is how I want to try to answer it it's another form of attempting to bring yourself and others comfort through trying to you know, solve the mystery of, of whatever this ambiguous, you know, myth thing creature is. And it's, it's really cool. (laughs) It's really cool. (laughs) Yeah. I mean, I love that. I think that's so well articulated. I think also a big part of that is acknowledging ambiguity is such a big step as well in and acknowledging that we don't know anything, you know, (laughs) (laughs) that ambiguity exists out of all of this. And what we're all trying to do is figure it out. Like, because we don't, and it doesn't matter like how much you try and pretend or, or project out into the world that, Oh, I've got it figured out. I know these things and, and, and I've got these structures to hold on to. All of us are grappling with the fact that we, our brains cannot even comprehend the complexity of the universe, the, the, the feeling of, of love and of intimacy. And these are ideas of what family means and what home means when you move so much and you've had all these different experiences or I know one thing I'm struggling with right now is coming to terms with the fact that my relationship with people is different when I'm in the same place with them and when I am forced then to be thousands of miles away in different time zones from them. Yet those people still mean so much to me and I want them to be such a big part of my life, but but this world is so complex and continually moving that reality means we're in different places and that right now, even if I wanted to, you know, I couldn't fly over and see you and we could do this, have this conversation in person, that there are, because of the whole scenario that can't occur, that there is just a vast amount of ambiguity that we exist in. And I think this idea that through art and through conversation and, and through experience, we attempt to embrace that ambiguity and explore it. But the key before all of that is acknowledging that we know nothing. And yeah. we are just trying to figure out, and we're all in the same boat there. It's kind of unifying. Yeah, it is. It really is. I mean, like, I think there's a lot of things about, you know, the human condition and the human race where you you can pick out pick and choose things where you're like this is what makes us different this is what makes us societally different this is this is how we are different for from each other and you know that's how things like ethnocentrism and, and racism and, and all these things kind of stem out from but it's like hey take a step back look look at what you're both going through look at up look at how much you actually know as a human you know no more than the human next to you um and also, like, in that sense, it's very, like, humbling. It's like, shut up. Like, you, you we're, we're all in the same boat. So I, I don't, I don't know where you think you're going because we're all going also, like, down the same river, right? Like, this is, this is the path that we're all on together. We're all trying to figure it out. Um, so, yeah. Yeah, I, I, I think that that's, like, a beautiful thing is that, you know, and a great analogy is this idea that, you know, we all get on a boat at the very beginning and we all have the same end point. It doesn't matter who you are. It doesn't matter, you know, what experiences you've had, where you've grown up. Like it's the same. It doesn't, it doesn't matter what you believe happens after that you get out of the boat or before you get in the boat. Like we all in that space have the same, in the same experience, the same world at the same time. And that, that even just trying to conceptualize that, that, you know, right now, you know, 
it's it's a different time of day than it is for you right now. It is, it is a wild thing that we exist on this globe, this this entire world where billions of people are simultaneously existing, living their lives, and have no idea that this conversation is even occurring. Um, but we all have that same experience of when we look up at the stars in the sky, we don't necessarily know how to process that or what that means or you know i think it's that duality of being simultaneously your life feels so significant to you as an individual but at the same time you are so insignificant and that that is a beautiful thing and that that is a powerful thing and something we all share no yes sorry there's a bug <laughs> you're, you're, you're absolutely right i mean it's one thing like if you if you walked out of your house at night and you looked up and you know you saw the southern cross right hello those are those are the same stars that it, that if i was standing right next to you i would see them as well same as if you know i mean i was in i was in malaysia you know uh, a year ago and i'm looking up at the sky one night and i'm like holy shit that's the big dipper like no for like hey it's there like i i'm live thousands of miles away and it was there and i was like whoa and I, I think it's something that i mean i've always i feel like i've always had like a very special connection to the stars because of you know the stories that that have, i've been told but also when you're when you're a kid and you move around so much and nothing is ever constant in your life no no, no place is ever home in, in the generic sense of home is, you know, the, the place that you've, you've built your life. And this is, this is where you'll live when you move around so much. Like I said, home becomes different things. Home, home does not define you by the physical place you're in, but it doesn't matter where I lived, how old I was, whatever. I could go outside, I could look up and I could see the big dipper. And no matter how insignificant, maybe that made me feel that grounded me. That said, you're here, you're alive. You're, you may be, you know, hundreds of miles from where you, you just lived, but you are, you are still here and this is still the sky you're going to see. And this is like the stars, we're still going to be constant for you, even if nothing else is. And that feels good. (laughs) It feels good to have something be there and know that it's just not, it's not going to go away. Yeah, I think having that, having something to hold on to as well and to know that, you know, in our ever-flowing life filled with all of these internal and external pressures and stresses stresses and anxieties and experiences and heartbreak and, and, and beauty, like amongst all of that, no matter what, when the sun sets, we can look up and we can see these stars or we can see the clouds that maybe, you know, hide the stars but we know that like they will always be there and it doesn't matter where on this world we are when we look up we will still see the same thing and that that we can hold on to that and that that is something that is like quite a beautiful phenomenon even if we don't know how to articulate that sensation but i think most people know that sensation you do um, yeah right like you you feel so insignificant but at the same time you're like oh i'm strangely comforted it's it's weird but it's beautiful (laughs) yeah i know i know and it's we don't we can't even articulate with words what that sensation is but it's a knowing like it's a deep knowing through feeling and through experience that that we that transcends all boundaries of language or interpersonal relationship yeah but i you i yeah, I, I noticed that you also, you mentioned your travels to, to Malaysia and that experience of, of being somewhere else. I, I know that a little while ago you did a solo trip and did a bit of travel by yourself. Yes. I was wondering if you could go into a little bit of what that experience was like and how, you know, that's a big choice to be like, I'm going to go do this and I'm going to go travel by myself. I'm going to do a solo trip. What, how did you find that experience? Where did you go? And maybe exp- expanding off of that, what did you learn through that experience? So last winter, over New Year's-ish, I traveled to um, Ireland and Iceland, specifically Dublin and Reykjavik, which was incredible. Um, prior to going to Malaysia last year for, for research with a couple of professors, I had never been out of the country. So also making the decision to travel alone, like out of the country for the second time was also 
wild. Um, but I think that this is going to sound so funny, but I, so I had appendicitis last year and <laughs> would suck. I don't recommend doing that. Um, not that you have any control over it. But just don't do it. <laughs> um, but in, in that time of, of the surgery and, and, and then the recovery and everything that like came out of that, where it, it became a whole world of, I can't, I can't, my body can't, my body can't breathe correctly. My body can't, I don't know, digest food correctly now. It, and although I had already had the trip planned because I'm, you know, kind of crazy and I just I do things on a whim sometimes, like buy a plane ticket to freaking... Ireland um I feel like after that experience in some ways I was a lot more ready to take on whatever solo travel was supposed to be because I I had I'd overcome this this state of mind that was I can't I cannot do this and it's also really scary being alone at a hospital for like hours and hours and like have them take out an organ. Like that's already like a traumatizing experience. And I always thought like, well, okay, like if I can get through that, I can get on this 10 hour plane ride and at least land in Ireland. And then we see what happens. Um, I didn't have a lot planned because again, <laughs> I don't know what I was thinking. I just bought the plane ticket and, and, and went, um, but I ended up learning a lot about myself because while I, I made so many friends and got to, you know, experience this, this new place with so many new and incredible people, um, which is a, a benefit of solo traveling, right? Like you're more approachable and like you want to connect with people. So you go out of your way to do that. I spent a lot of time with myself as well. And, and it was beautiful to see where, where my mind kind of took me, where, where I could be just like hanging out in a hostel room. And then all of a sudden I'm like, oh, you know what? I'm going to go on like a three mile walk, just like around like Dublin. Like, okay, like go, like who, who's going to stop you? Like, how did you, how did I get to that point? Like, oh, well, you know, I just, I thought that'd be a fun idea. And there's nothing to hold me back. Right? There's, there's no, 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 you know, no one with me. Who's like, I don't want to do that. And, and if, you know, there was a part of me that said, I don't want to do that. Then, well then, you know, I, I probably wouldn't have done it, but there's, it, 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 you're, you're just with yourself that like, that's it. Like you're just with yourself and your own thoughts of like, wh what is stopping you from, you know, going in, in walking around on, on your own right now? Nothing. So like, why don't you just do it? Like, why don't you just explore? And that, I mean, like, that's so fun. I did that in Reykjavik too, but like, then I was stuck in Iceland for like a few days because of a snowstorm, but we don't need to talk about that. Like, that's, <laughs> that's the only thing. Um, but Solo travel is something that I never thought I would have done at such a young age. Um, but I am so happy that I did it just because I got to see parts of the world that I have always wanted to see. Like I, I've, I've always dreamed of seeing the Northern Lights in Iceland and I got to do that. And I got to do it on my own, which in a lot of ways was very liberating to be, well, to also have the, the privilege, even as like a young woman, to, to travel and do these things that, you know, my mom didn't, you know, get to do that, you know, my, my aunts would, wouldn't have gotten to do. And, you know, a lot of young women like I am maybe won't have that opportunity to, and, and somehow I, I was able to. And so I'm, I'm so grateful for those experiences. And, and I mean, I feel like now I'm way more, I'm not, I was never shy, but I don't think I'm at the point of like, I think because of my solo travel, I am way more willing to take risks in like social situations and, and listen to my instinct of like, well, why don't you just go do that? It's like, yeah, why don't I? Like, what is, what is stopping me from doing that? There's something incredible could come from it. Um, which is like a beautiful mentality to have. And I don't think I would have, you know, been at the place that I am now and have that mentality without having traveled. Um, so I recommend it. If anyone wants to solo travel, totally do it. <laughs> Obviously not now, um, but you know, when things get better. Yeah. I, I feel like, I feel like you bring up so many good points about the, I, I think solo travel is such a different experience than, than traveling with other people because I mean, travel 
in general, I think is one of the best things that you can do if you, you know you have the opportunity and the resources and, and things line up. Like just because the experiencing of other ways of life and of seeing the world through another lens in, in the idea of, I know even, even for me, the first time I really went overseas, I did a little trip to Japan with my, one of my really good mates to when we graduated high school and, you know, we got the cheapest flight we could get and we got there and it was just the two of us trying to figure out our way through Tokyo and on, on the, you know, the, the speed trains, you know, just figuring it out. It was chaos, but that experience of being like, this is an, this is on the same planet, but it feels like a different world. It feels like a different way of life that we we've never experienced. And then funnily enough, about a year and a half later, two years later, I went back to Japan, but I went by myself and I did two weeks of just me there. And I was doing some training in, in some Japanese theater and, and stuff like that. But I would go days where I wouldn't speak to people. Like I would have none of that contact because I didn't speak the language and I was trying to figure it out, but I put my headphones in, I'd get on a train and I'd just walk up a mountain and you find some shrine and, 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 you know, just explore. Um, but there's also then the nature of like, Oh, survival. Like if, if I don't get to this Airbnb, and get the key off of the person I need to get it off and can't put my bags down. Like I'm on the street and that's on me. Yeah. <laughs> and, and then I need to figure out what I'm going to do. Or if, if, if I get on the wrong train, there's no one I can blame that on. Like that is, it's all on that's me. So, <laughs> you know, so there's that, I think there's that experience of being so wholly responsible for your experiences and for everything that occurs to you is that it's all on you and that I think is both liberating in the sense that you're right you know if you want to do something you can do it and if you don't you don't you can chase the things that you enjoy and you have no reason to do anything you don't enjoy because (laughs) it's all up to you (laughs) but there is then that experience of like oh, whoa, if I mess up right now, it's all on me. And I can't just call someone to help me because I don't, my phone doesn't connect to anyone or my Wi-Fi is not working. <laughs> I can't tell you how many times in Dublin I was like, is this the right bus? Even even though everything's in English, I'm like, where am I going? I have no idea. I mean, but everything works out, right? I mean, like, and if it, if it doesn't, there's a little speed bump, you turn around and you figure it out. Um, and I feel like there, it's also that, there's no room to, to panic, you know, like there's, there's no, like who are you going to panic to, right? Like it's, it's a whole internal thing of like, shoot, I messed up. What do I do? You're, and then you're, you know, like immediately onto the, how do I fix it? How do I, how do I get in a better position than I am now? I think that is such an interesting point because I think it is that mindset that you learn through traveling, this idea of being solution orientated because you are forced to, because the only choice you have when you are by yourself in a foreign country or in a place that you've never experienced, um, especially if you don't speak the language, is the, the idea of being like, there is a problem right now and I'm well aware of it and I have to find a solution because if I don't, I'm not going to have anywhere to sleep tonight or I'm going to end up in the wrong city and I'm going to have to figure out what I do. And I might actually not have enough money to figure that out. And I can't just get someone else to solve it for me. So, because I think then if you take that mindset and you apply that to other things in life, that solution orientated mindset, I think changes the way you look at the world and the way you look at everything. Because if you can then shift and have that responsibility and build that self-awareness that you that you have from those experiences and look at there is a problem in my life right now, whether that be financial, spiritual, um, artistic, you know, you know, creative anything relationship-based. If you look at that and you see the problem and you just look at it as a problem, then which I think is the default setting for a lot of things of like, ah, oh, yeah, I'm, like that's a problem. It's, I'm struggling with that and I don't necessarily know how to fix it. If that is your focus, like that problem just keeps building or it stays there. And, it, and that's where anxiety and stress come from because it's still there. 
But when you have these experiences where you are forced, where you don't have an option but to focus on finding a solution and you have to make quick decisions, if you then apply that to other areas of your life, you know, I think you can learn so much and you can you can be more active rather than passive and responsive. You know, you can you can take those things and be like, okay, I have an assignment, I have a project that I'm working on and everything has just fallen through. And my whole idea, I, my camera's SD card's just broken. I can't get a new one, but it's due in three hours. Um, I could sit back and just go on my phone and feel sorry for myself. Or I could focus on a solution and be like, okay, what I'm going to do is I'm going to use my phone instead. And I'm going to plug, you know, and I'm just going to put something up and it is what it is. And I'm going to acknowledge that it didn't work out how I wanted it to, but this is what it is, you know, or even in a relationship to be able to admit and be like, Hey, you know, I, I love you, but there's something I, I feel like there's a tension or there is an anxiety that I'm feeling in this relationship. Um, whether that's a friendship or a romantic relationship or even with a family member, if you just go, Oh, there's a problem here. And I know this problem and I'm, and, and it's there. And I, I know the problem's there, but it's going to sort itself out. or I'm going to worry about that later. But if instead your focus is like, let's find a solution because I don't want to stay in this bit where I'm angry or sad or frustrated with you. Let's sit down and talk and, and, and figure out what the solution is. And, and I think it's that mindset that is one of the biggest carry carryaways from or, or takeaways from solo travel. No, you're, you're absolutely right. It's a, it's an active mindset rather than passive. And, I totally agree that that transfers into to life normally outside of whatever you're doing that, that's not traveling, right? Like it, it helps you become like a more solution oriented person rather than just thinking about everything negative and wrong, right? Like you, you can have those, you can have those human moments of shit, I messed up and that's okay. But it's, it's the difference between the people who stay in that, in that little box and then the people who go out looking for a way to make it, make it better, make it right, whatever they need to do to, to help them progress forward and, and just move on. So yeah, I agree. Yeah. I, I think, you know, I think that's like a really beautiful spot to start to, to wrap this up. Cause I think we've, we've covered such a diverse range of things in this conversation and there's so much, so much there. Um, I was wondering maybe if you could take us back to maybe your fondest moment on that solo trip and tell us a little bit about that experience or that moment just to sort of end this on a, on a story and, and on a moment that is important to you. Um, yeah, oh, there's so many. <laughs> um, I think my fondest moment from the whole trip was one day I was in, it was when I was in Reykjavik and it was a snowstorm and, you know, the sunrise is at, 11 a.m. and then sets at 3 p.m. So like you have very little daylight, but it's a very it's a very safe city despite like you know the language not being English primarily. Um, <clears throat> but I I had waited for the snowstorm to kind of die down, and then I just took a walk with my headphones in and my little beanie on and my like eight pairs of pants, and I just kind of set out and I found myself at this like the the edge of the water. Um, it, I mean, like this little like harbor almost type thing. And there was this, this huge metal sculpture that was supposed to um, represent the Vikings. And it was, it was beautiful. And I'm sitting there and all of a sudden the clouds just kind of part and everything just is still and blue and beautiful. And you can just see the landscape of Iceland, just like all around you, like extending far past the city. And, and I'm sitting there and I'm like, oh my gosh, like, this does feel otherworldly. Like, it's incredible. I'm standing here as a little human on, on you know, on the edge of the ocean, just kind of hanging out. And, and I have so much beauty around me. And it was, maybe it was also like the dramatic music playing in my headphones that also helped this moment be what it was. But it was, it was so peaceful. It was so beautiful, despite the fact, you know, my toes were freezing off. I, I, it was just a moment of, of like, of clarity and just happiness. Um, and even though like so, so much happened on that trip, I feel like that that's definitely probably my fondest moment of, of the, you know, the whole two weeks I was, I was gone. That's beautiful. That's beautiful. I, I, I think those moments 
such special moments. There's moments of just blissful like presence and being so engulfed by a moment and an experience, whether that's just by yourself or with other people, whether it's at home or it's in this place you, you're just discovering for the first time. I think acknowledging and appreciating those moments is is such like a beautiful thing and I think something that we don't do enough of. Um, so thank you, thank you so much for sharing. And I think on that note, thank you so much for jumping on and having this conversation with me. I feel like I've learned so much about you and, and you know, we've known each other before, but it's, it's so great to be able to go and have these conversations and delve a little bit deeper. And, and I, I'm so grateful um, that we were able to have this conversation. I look forward to many more. First of all, congratulations. You just listened all the way through our podcast and we couldn't be more thrilled to have you as part of the Story Network community. If you enjoyed the conversation, it would mean the world to us if you could like, share, review and subscribe to let us know that you're listening. We are on a mission to build the largest and most diverse community of storytellers, creators and innovators from around the world and we can't do that without your help. You can check us out on Instagram at The Real Story Network and over on YouTube and Facebook at The Story Network. My name is Ed Hopkins. You're amazing. And we are The Story Network. Woo! The Story Network. See you next week.